0: One thing was uh, maybe just this distribution in founding team. So if you look at the founding team here, so between me, Abhishek and Nitin, so all of us bring very different things to the table. So Abhishek is hardcore sales, marketing, and I'm thinking of investment as well. I get some tech operations and that kind of experience. Nitin is hardcore data scientist. So, So very different backgrounds, very different experiences. So that really helps. So even if just three of us, we were able to scale to a large amount of time. I think the other learning probably was more around building the team. We made sure we hire less rather than hire more, but get the best people, best people suited for
1: the job. Hi, welcome to Startup Fridays, a weekly conversation with entrepreneurs, VC investors and other folks who are doing significant work in India's startup ecosystem. You can find a new episode every Friday evening. You can also find us live on Instagram every Friday morning. I am Hari Arakali. And our guest today is uh, Rahul Saxena, is co-founder and CTO of AI-Dash. Rahul is a serial entrepreneur and he has previously co-founded Quicklow, a fintech startup and uh, all memoirs, a social commerce and product discovery venture. He was also an entrepreneur in residence at uh, the VC firm Axel. Uh, Rahul has a degree in electrical engineering from the Indian Institute of uh, Technology in Delhi. Rahul, uh, uh, fantastic to have you with us this morning. Uh, looking forward to this conversation. Uh, welcome.
0: Thanks, thanks Ariya. Thanks for the gracious introduction.
1: All right. So just to uh, get us going, uh, for people uh, who may not be familiar with your work and uh, AI-Dash, maybe you could tell us a bit about uh, how you all started this company and we'll go from there.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, so AI-Dash, we started back in uh, early 2019. Uh, the idea was, uh, so I've been doing a couple of startups that time, you know, I took a break to figure out what next uh, and incidentally uh, hit upon Abhishek. We used to work back together in 2004 uh, in terms of, you know, what are the next things to pick up on? And for, in my mind, it was around AI and, uh, you know, a couple of startups I done did earlier were in the B2C space. So I wanted to move to B2B. That's why what I felt, uh, you know, given my background and all, I am well suited for. Uh, and AI seemed to be on the maturity curve, and you know we felt that uh, there are certain use cases, uh, especially for large enterprises, where uh, you know a lot of people are doing this API-based platforms, and they are not able to you know make use of them. So uh, that was the idea we started with, and back in Jan, uh, Abhishek came back with this uh, idea around you know vegetation management and an opportunity to work in a pilot with an organization uh, called Intergy. So that's how we started AI Dash. Uh, we listed the company, we you know started doing this pilot around, uh, you know, what's the best way of using AI to do vegetation management. That's how the journey started. And uh, yeah, the, initially the AI part was more around looking at, you know, the past historical data, uh, the enterprise data and how to predict, uh, you know, what's the best way of doing vegetation management. But as we kept moving forward in the journey, we realized uh, just relying on enterprise data is not enough. You need to combine it with something which is more non-intrusive, and and that's the reason uh, you know that's that's why we start exploring different uh, image sources and different kind of sources. We looked at drones, we looked at airplanes, we looked at satellites, and satellite seemed to you know really uh, uh, was. Uh, fit all, all whatever we we're looking for. Uh, it is coming, it's the satellite node today comes with a 50 centimeter resolution, uh, which is very high resolution where the deep learning models can come into picture. Earlier, uh, the most of the satellite imagery was 10 meter free satellites. It's difficult to, you know, come up with a meaning there. That's the reason you had this field called remote sensing. But as we discovered more and more, and we started using it with our use cases, we got excellent results. And we switched to you know building the platform around that and building the product around those lines. Mm.
1: What got you all uh, interested in vegetation management uh, to begin with?
0: Yes, yes. So, uh, so that's a very interesting uh, take to it. Uh, so basically, see, uh, given our background, so we wanted to open up a startup, right? Uh, given our uh, background, that something which gives us a reasonable chance of success. We had done a couple of B2C startups and there it invariably becomes, uh, you know, a winner takes all kind of market and uh, the chances of success are difficult to predict. So we wanted to do something which is difficult, reasonably difficult, as well as, uh, you know, it's not like you open a startup and tomorrow there are 20 players, you know, playing along with you. We hit upon this idea. We were exploring different ideas and this was one of the opportunities we felt, you know, we can make a difference. Uh, It was a very niche area to begin with to be frank uh, but as we explored more and more we realized that you know it's not a small opportunity uh, vegetation management uh, operations and maintenance specifically for utility itself is a 200 billion dollars spend in us alone vegetation management is a major ticket item there so as we you know uh, worked on it more and more we realize it's a large market to attack and that's the reason we kind of switched to it. Uh, and the idea was, you know, as we solve one uh, area in operations and maintenance, gradually as we build the base, we can pick up more and more areas as we go along. So it was like a more of a beachhead product. Mm.
1: Uh, explain to us uh, what you mean by vegetation management. I mean, I listening to you, I'm thinking that it's a fairly technical uh, field and uh most folks may not really uh, understand what it is that you're saying. So give us a sort of layman's understanding of what it means.
0: Sure. So what happens is, uh, for specifically for power utilities to start with, uh, so they have these issues of power lines, specifically distribution power lines. And so the power lines are typically two kinds, distribution and transmission. So transmission power lines are the ones which take the power from source to, you know, close to the houses or offices and those areas. Distribution lines are which, you know, from ticket, take the power from those to the actual houses and you know uh, offices and all that so what happens is uh, as you come to the streets you would have some trees and uh, or vegetation as they call it in a more generic term coming along the wire uh, beside the wire over the wire you know that kind of stuff and what happens is when let's say uh, a tree keeps growing up it entangles with the wire or a tree might fall on the wire it causes outages right uh, the solution of that obviously cannot be that you remove all vegetation. That's neither good for environment nor it's good even from an aesthetics perspective. Many people do, you know, keep trees from that perspective. So it's a constant struggle on, you know, how to keep that balance, how to make sure the vegetation is a few, let's say, a couple of feet away from the wire so that it does not cause outages. And more so nowadays these cases of wildfires, many of the times we have seen uh, these are the, when the tree, you know, in touch with the wire it leads to a wildfire California specifically has got a lot of those issues, Australia has got a lot of those issues so vegetation management basically is a year long activity for these utilities to make sure there is enough distance between the wire and uh, you know the vegetation and it does not cause outage
1: mm. and uh, what was the first product uh, like that you built uh, what was it capable of and then maybe we can also uh, get into what you are doing today
0: Sure. So we started specifically with this uh, vegetation management. So the idea with uh, startup was to you know rather than focus going too broad based, focus on one thing and do it well. So we had we analyzed what was there in the vegetation market. Uh, you know, in general, what different people were doing. So many people were doing it with things like LiDAR drones. Some people were just doing you know sending people to the uh, field and inspecting uh, but we didn't find any product which solves it end-to-end use case right so even for satellite companies what they do is okay uh, you want to analyze let's say this 50 miles or 100 miles or thousand miles and these uh, by the way for a large utilities these areas might go up to more than one lakh miles right so uh, which is uh, humanly impossible to analyze on a manual basis right even drones would take months and you know quarters to analyze the whole stuff so, uh, so we realized that you know many of these satellite imagery and some of these sex, uh, services companies would take the area, give them an output, but stop at that, right? They don't tell people, okay, you know, given let's say a wedge operator, uh, their whole hierarchy of the field workers, operations manager, the directors. So how do I plan for next couple of years, right? Because this is a huge spend. Many of the large utilities spend to the tune of hundred million dollars or more every year, right? So they don't have a good tool of uh, managing this. Uh, I mean, I remember uh, talking to one utility uh, on East Coast, we asked, uh, we do these discovery sessions with these customers just to understand how they do this. We asked them for, you know, how your plan looks like uh, for next couple of years. And they sent us a screen, screenshot of their whiteboard, right? So, So this is my plan for next couple of years. So it's it's you know uh, so even though it's a, such a large spend and a lot of things which can be done, but it was done in a very uh, old fashion. So uh, so our first product was vegetation management, which has all these different modules. Uh, so you can analyze, you can create plans, you can do scenario modeling, you have dashboards and reports to you know plan for it, and you have a mobile app where you know uh, this output comes from an app. You can go to the field and uh, keep tracking the progress. So it's a suite of products with both web application as well as a mobile app. So that's how we started. And as we kept moving forward, we kept adding more bells and whistles. So for example, uh, there's a trim plan. So can I optimize it by just focusing on, you know, a subset of an area rather than the whole area? Uh, When I do the trim, there are different kinds of trims. Sometimes it's a manual trim. Sometimes it's based on a truck. Sometimes it's based based on a different equipment. Can I optimize costs across those? Right, Because those are all different vendors. And many of these plans or contacts are done in three years in advance. right? So, so it's a lot of domain-rich thing. Uh, so you need to really understand that well to be able to come out of the product for it. So our product is a very do- deep domain kind of product.
1: Mm. Uh, give us a small illustration. For, for example, uh, take us through a little bit of the workflow. If a utility wants to figure out what they need to do, say in a small locality, which they're servicing. Uh, what will they start with and what are the steps they go through and what will be the end result action that they could take
0: sure sure so basically see in our case the way it works is uh, uh, typically typically like i said we start with a discovery session of utility and understand for example this locality you talk about so we'll understand you know what do they do today uh at what's st- uh, and what's the driver for this vegetation management and and see i mean there are 50 states in u.s for example and that different areas have different requirements. Some people might have already given contracts. Some people might be looking for a new contract. Some people might be more wildfire sensitive versus not. So all those different things you kind of figure out. And you also look at what their priorities are in terms of, you know, uh, what they want to do. Once that area is figured out, we take that area. We look at satellite imagery, historical satellite imagery and current. So what we do is usually we go back four years, take uh, last couple of years satellite imagery. That's the other advantage of satellite imagery, which is not there on a let's say a drone or an aerial service. You can't go back to the past, right? But in our case, we can. So we can go back to the past. We can look at making some predictions in terms of you know what the growth rate is, how the vegetation has been changing over the years, and based on that, what your next three years should look like. So once all all that is analyzed, we also try to understand what is, is there any regulatory pressures or those kind of stuff. So based on that, we give them some plan on their web, uh, web application to look at, and then they feed in their budget. They prioritize what their goals are and based on that you know uh, the whole scenario modeling and everything is done on the application.
1: Hmm. So um, in the field they would they could send uh, a field force to uh, trim the uh, trees uh, uh, or, or figure out maybe an alternative route if they are laying a new line and things like that I mean is that what they do?
0: Yes so basically yeah once you do analyze plan so it moves to that execution phase uh, so wherein they come with uh, yeah, different options around you know how you can execute here. Uh, and these plans are then, you know, assigned to the field workers, uh, and they, they get it in there. So basically the operations manager can, you know, give it to their field workers in terms of, uh, an app which they can use and go to the field to the train. And like you said, yeah, they can, there are optimization op- opportunities in terms of budget optimization or, uh, yeah, we are building some algorithms in terms of, you know, how they can optimize the route and all, but yeah. Hmm.
1: hmm. Uh, explain the, uh, the core Technology that you have built, that is proprietary to AI Dash, your IP. Explain what that technology is about. Sure. So uh,
0: the core technology basically is around, uh, you know, this large area which we analyze and uh, come up with output. So right now, vegetation management was the first product, and we have went ahead and built a couple of more products uh, after that. But the core platform here is which takes this large area. Uh, in this case, it's primary linear assets, then some of the other products is maybe area based assets. So given that large area, so we have uh, different sections, right? So one section is how to extract satellite imagery very efficiently. So if it is a linear asset, what happens is uh, most of these satellite vendors, they sell imagery by area. If you just buy it that way, it becomes pretty costly, right? So we have algorithms which uh basically divide the satellite imagery or basically give us an area to ask for for the satellite vendors which are really optimized to the minimum spec possible to, 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 to optimize the cost. Uh, so we have apis which are you know integrated with these platforms who can fetch these at scale uh, because these are typically large areas and it takes a lot of time to get this imagery it can go to terabytes and uh, you know petabytes kind of stuff. Once we get this area, then we have our own uh, machine learning and deep learning kind of and computer vision kind of models, which extract meaning out of it. Something so kind of, you know, uh, make a digital twins of these assets. So whatever you were uh, got the area of and you get the satellite image, you make a digital thing in, in your own world. So it's that you can operate on it. And once all that is done based on, you know, the customer requirements in terms of how they want to prioritize which areas, so for example, uh, let's say certain areas, the customer count is more versus less. Certain areas, the power lines are connected to a school versus maybe a house which just a couple of people remaining there. So how do I do relative prioritization, right? So, uh, I mean, uh, the propensity of a tree, let's say, falling on a wire, let's say, uh, a area where customer count is low versus high. So I would focus on the area where the customer count is more, right? So a lot of all those things kind of go into the algorithm. So we have a end-to-end pipeline of these uh, algorithms, which are inbuilt. So whenever you get an area, the whole pipeline kind of goes through, right, end to end, and you get back the output there. And then we have our own, uh, so this is one side of the platform, maybe you can see the data engineering and data science side of it. The other side is our SaaS platform, which has its own uh, services to uh, paint this on a web application at scale, web application and mobile application both, because these are large areas. So you have to figure out the right way of how to display this at scale. right? So that's essentially the core platform. And then, yeah, like I said, uh, so vegetation management is the first use case. And then as we are going forward, we are building different use cases.
1: Hmm. Uh, yeah, that that might be interesting. What are some of the uh, adjacent or futuristic uh, use cases you're thinking about? And also you've recently released a solution at the COP26 uh, summit as well. Tell us a bit about all of that.
0: Sure, sure. So, so I think... Uh, At COP26, we launched this uh, product around sustainability, which we are calling ISMS, Intelligent Sustainability Management System. So what this product does is, so so obviously sustainability is an important topic with climate change and uh, net zero and all these different different, uh, important areas nowadays. So what ISMS does is, so it's built on the same platform, which we are using for vegetation management. But what it does is, so, for example, in uh, Europe right now, uh, biodiversity uh, is an important metric. So people with you know distributed areas uh, in their control, they have to make sure their biodiversity across these areas is above certain value. So what we do is we have satellite imagery, which uh, so we have this uh, product, which can we, we call it Metro, measure, Enhanced track, report, offset. So it can, first of all, measure what's your current value then you set goals for you know let's say my biodiversity should be above 10% at today it's 8% right so how do i get to that 10 temp- to uh, at two more percent or maybe even more right so you set your two to three year target uh we the product is smart enough to figure out okay you know uh, for example you do x kind of construction for biodiversity right in certain so and so area you would get this my, this much of boost right so you can actually visualize plan okay you know next one year two year three year how should i go on and increase my biodiversity right or if if you have more, you can, uh, at areas, you can do offset. So, so this is around what we are calling ISMS land component. And then similarly, we have components around air and gradually we'll be working on the water side as well. So air is more around measuring greenhouse emission. Uh, so so things like that, right? So basically, uh, so you have these areas where you are measuring the sustainability metrics, the important sustainability metrics you have to track to make sure you are uh, measuring the right, uh, you, know, you are right on the sustainability side.
1: Mm. Uh, from a, I mean, as a technology specialist, uh, if you look at the products you've developed, what are uh, one or two product innovations that you're really proud of?
0: Yeah, so I think uh, uh, so then I won't say there are one or two of those. Uh, so, over the course of time, what has happened is, so, and, and that's in basically in all these different areas, right? So, when I talk about, let's say, a computer vision deep learning kind of model, uh, so what happens is uh, there are a lot of these models or uh, algorithms available. You can use a typical TensorFlow and Keras and that kind of stack for do doing deep learning. Let's say for pure images. But in our case, what happens is each image, each pixel has a geo coordinate attached to it, right? So these models do not work as is. So there is a lot of uh, stuff around. You know how I build an algorithm which can uh, make these things intact. When you go back and look at let's say last four year images and try to do an analysis around it. Uh these satellite images are not, would not be always in the same direction, right? So they can be from different directions all the time. So how do I, you know, convert it into a 3D format and convert convert it all together, right? And similarly, when we are building on the application side, uh, so there's a lot of data to show. So how do I build a SaaS platform which can show so much of data in detail in one shot? So, so there are a lot of innovations which we did, which did not exist. And I think there are a bunch of them on a pipeline which we have not released yet. So yeah, so this is pretty interesting area in that sense, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So... Uh, broadly what are your next uh, big steps big priorities
0: so i think uh, yeah so we started this company in a bootstrap mode we have done it that way for quite some time uh, now we uh, recently uh, closed our series b round so uh, once you get the you know get get into that pedestal it's more around uh, make, make, making sure you are hitting your targets so uh, so idea for our perspective is uh, we are targeting to become a you know a, a unicorn in the next couple of years. So basically, from that perspective, ARR hitting our ARR targets remain a priority. So from that perspective, vegetation management, we are category leader by far. Uh, even though we are competing with a reasonable number of folks, so idea is to maintain that lead. Uh, so we are specifically in US right now, but we are looking to expand in Europe, uh, Asia as as we go along. So the focus would remain there from a you know growth perspective and from a technology perspective, you know keep uh, building on what, what we have built so far, consolidating it, adding new innovations, patents, uh, technical papers and all
1: that. Mm. Uh, let's go back a bit uh, to the very beginnings of your entrepreneurial journey. Tell us a bit about uh, your first job. What got you uh, thinking about becoming an entrepreneur?
0: Sure. So, uh, so I started uh, way back in two thousand two. So it was a normal like a software engineer kind of job. And that time, you know, entrepreneurship was not as popular. So I, I think yeah, it was a bit of corporate life for ten to twelve years. Uh, so I did something in a company called Symphony Services that was around supply chain management. So built uh, different kind of algorithms there. Moved to a telecom where it was more around uh, a bit around field operations. Uh, it was an interesting journey uh a couple of interesting folks there incidentally uh all my co-founders uh for next organizations they were all with me working in that time together uh so and Kosh, who we started two startups with and then abhishek so we were all working together at the same time uh incidentally and then uh went to rsc security uh it was an enterprise security product so uh so it did give me a good bearing around i was there for a pretty pretty long time uh yeah today's palace 80 years is a pretty long time so uh I did different roles uh, from engineer to engineering manager to, you know, moving, uh, managing teams across Bangalore and Boston. So it was an interesting experience for me, uh, making a sure a release happens of 40, 50 odd people. So how do you manage that? How do you make sure, you know, uh, you hit the milestone despite all these roadblocks? But after my general goal has been in life is to, you know, uh, keep learning as you go along and keep creating opportunities to learning. So around 2013, 14, I was feeling that, right, you know, uh, the job is, uh, done. And, uh, the, that, that's, that was a time around, you know, when entrepreneurship kind of thing was picking up. I think 2014, we had our Flipkart raises, raised its first $1 billion investment. I think that was in June, 20, 2014. So around that time, I felt, you know, this is, this would give me a more accelerated learning. And, uh, I quit around you know, July time frame and uh, started my first startup in August. That was called All Memoirs. So, idea that that time was okay, you know, uh, and B two C seemed to be the flavor that point of time. Enterprise and SaaS was not had not picked up that much. So, all my was more around, you know, uh, our idea was uh, basically you have Flipkart, Jabong, Maitra. So there was those; they were all different companies that point of time. So, if you want to buy something across, uh, how do you do that, right? And uh, how do I choose what to buy? So it's more like a social commerce. Uh, so they can be sellers, small sellers who can, let's say, be listed on Amazons or Flipkarts or Jabongs of the world, but they're not getting attention, right? So how do they get them, get attention on a single app? So we had something for the seller side and something for the consumer side. So we did it for some time, uh, but then we started realizing, you know, uh, the, the deficiencies in our model. Basically, we went, we were running it in a bootstrap format. So me, Mregank and Kosh, uh, so we had worked together earlier in this, in this startup also. We were running it more like a, you know, tech play. We realized, you know, uh, it's very difficult to scale a B2C startup that way for a long time. You need to go and raise funding for that. Uh, B2B, maybe it works, but B2C does not. We started talking to investors. We were doing good as an app. We actually were able to reach 100,000 downloads pretty quickly, all mostly organic in a very, very less uh, CAC. And we, we started talking to investors and they started asking the right questions. And that was, Pretty good learning for us as we started talking to different people. Uh, But that time, there were a couple of other startups which got funded and, you know, uh, we were not able to scale it beyond a certain point. And incidentally, we uh, met Axel, right? So Axel said, you know, uh, this startup probably uh, may not make sense, but if you are interested, let's work together and, you know, figure out if there are other ideas you can want to work on. And that's where we became uh entrepreneur in residence or you can say team in residence. So all three of us, you know, joined Excel, worked with uh, a couple of people there, uh, Priyank, uh, Subrotho, and other people there, to come up with what, what can be different ideas we can look at. So given our background with security, enterprise companies, and all, so fintech and, and uh, Kush had a pretty deep de- de- background on the fintech side. Uh, so we thought, you know, something of consumer lending sort makes sense. So we started at that point of time, Quicklow. QuickLow was around consumer lending for students. We ended up raising $2.5 million from Excel as we went along. We were in like five cities, uh, uh, Bangalore, Chennai, Pune, Bombay, Hyderabad. We were doing around about a $4 million of lending on an annualized basis. Uh, we did it for some time. but we, we had got pretty impressive results. So basically 98% of people were actually returning back. But as we went further, we realized, you know, that may not be the best metrics as you grow, right? Uh, So what happens is, uh, I mean, so usually in consumer lending, you will see 5 to 10 percent default rates, which is common. And that's sometimes required in the beginning for you to experiment. So that's when we realize, uh, you know, it's becoming very operations heavy. It's not as tech heavy as we thought it would be. So we started experimenting from students to, you know, working professionals. And that was the idea as well anyways there, that you'll start with student, and as they graduate, uh, you know, you'll keep following them on the cycle. I think a couple of other companies who started around that time, Slice, Crazy B, they also kind of pivoted at some point of time. So we did that. Uh, we actually started getting into uh, from students to, you know, uh, working side, but we st- Stuck to products around students, right? So we stuck to education loans. So we had a like a uh, India-wide partnership with Baiju's at that point of time. So if Baidu's, uh salesperson is going to a customer, uh, if they are selling a product, uh, so basically if they don't get a, a loan for them through let's say Bajaj Finance or credit uh, Bajaj Finance or credit card, they would go, come to us for the loan, right? And we were able to process the loan within by the time the sales step was at the customer's house. Right? So we did all that. But beyond a certain point, it became difficult to scale. Uh, and like I said, so all three were were techies, right? So uh, beyond a certain point, it became difficult to sustain for some point. So we st- uh, looked at stopping that journey at that point of time. So uh, that was, I think, back around two thousand and seventeen. Uh, at that point of time, yeah, I had done you know a lo- longish corporate career, done a couple of startups. So I took a break myself. I took a sabbatical just to figure out what next I want to do. And that's the reason I started exploring different areas. I looked at AI. I looked at blockchain. I traveled quite a bit. And that's where incidentally, like I mentioned, I met Abhishek, who also was looking into doing something, I met Nitin as well. And during the due course, and that's how we started AI Dash. And that point of time, my criteria was clear uh, that, you know, as we are going forward, we should have enough uh, diversity in founders. So I was more clear in terms of, you know, what I want to start on, where I, my strengths would play more and, you know, what kind of founding team and all that should be there. So was more clear this time around. So it helped uh, uh, accelerate AI Dash quite a bit. Mm. Uh,
1: this thing about uh, not being able to scale. Uh, so w- what were the uh, biggest takeaways of you know m- starting and building uh, QuickLow as well as all memoirs?
0: Right. So uh, so I think uh, all memoirs, it was more around, maybe it was the first time we were doing B2C and B2C, maybe the first takeaway was that, you know, you don't do revenue from day one. Uh, you have to first focus on distribution. I mean, distribution is bigger than revenue in the early stages. So first of all, you look at acquiring customers, and you know, then only you can do that. That what means essentially is you need to go for a funding from day one. It becomes difficult to sustain that way. Uh, in QuickLow I think my bigger learning was more around uh, basically being in sync with you know what really excites you in the long run, right? So there, there it became primarily. Uh, I mean, which probably happens with a lot of fintechs. It became a reasonably operations heavy kind of organization. And coming from a tech background, I did want to keep that flavor. Maybe someone from a finance side or some distribution on the founding team might have helped. Uh, it's not like that's, that's always important and many people, you know, just from same background do it, but somehow it didn't work for us. So I think probably it's more to figure out as an individual, as a founder, what really excites you. Because if you are not excited, it's difficult to, you know, run the organization uh, for a long time.
1: Mm. I mean, for aspiring investors, uh, sorry, aspiring uh, entrepreneurs, uh, and you mentioned that in uh, B2C, probably need funding earlier and so on. So if you look back, uh, uh, what are some of the things that they really need to be prepared for, especially if they're first time entrepreneurs, so that they can get good investors on the cap table?
0: Right, so I think, uh, so basically nowadays, if you look at it, there is a lot of literature and a lot of metrics and statistics around. So you need to be clear about, first of all, what really excites you, right? So B2C, B2B, enterprise B2B, small B2B, right? So there there are all these different varieties. So first, I think you need to figure out what really excites you, right? Uh, And then based on what you want to do and what your unique strength you bring to the table, right? And you decide based on that. And then once you have figured out about an idea, you maybe figure out an initial traction and all that. Then you look at the right investors which meet you, right? Uh, so depending on India, there is a different ball game if you are opening in let's say in US or Europe or somewhere else. So you have to look at the deficiency there, right? What what area you want to attack? And then many people take this uh, analogy of vitamin versus medicine. So make sure the use case is a medicine use case, not a vitamin use case. And the market should be obviously large enough, right? Otherwise, it doesn't make sense.
1: Mm. At uh, AI Dash, uh, what were some of the uh, mistakes uh, that you avoided uh, from your experience of the previous startups?
0: Sure. So I think uh, one thing was uh, maybe just this distribution in founding team. So if you look at the founding team here, so between me, Abhishek and Nitin, so all of us bring very different things to the table. Right. So Abhishek is hardcore sales, marketing and now taking care of investment as well. I get some tech operations and that kind of experience. Nathan is hardcore data scientist, Right. So so very different backgrounds, very different experiences, so that really helps. So even if just three of us, we were able to scale to a large point of time. Then I think the other learning probably was more around building the team. We made sure we hire less rather than hire more, but get the best people, best people suited for the job. And that has really helped us. So all the early people we had, you know, from the beginning Niharika, Kundan, and a couple of other folks. So they have been there from the beginning uh, and playing a different role uh, as we you know, went along with the organization. And then uh, I think maybe another related learning, at least for me, was, uh, you know, raise the fund funding when you think you are ready and when the investor really believes in the idea, right? Uh, otherwise uh let's say uh, because I, I remember like when we used to have this initial discussions around you know uh, vegetation management uh, and that was the initial reaction right so is it really a big tank does it even make sense so wh- why are you working on this right so that and that was a typical reaction maybe for the right reason because we were not clear how it would work how it would not work out so if let's say we had you know uh, chosen to agree to some investors you know let's focus on just building a SaaS which does only a small thing and not the big thing, right? Not, don't not make it a deep domain product, but make it a more generic product. That those are some of the ideas and suggestions we were having. We may not have reached, right? So we had conviction that this would work. We have to give it time, and we were able to. Since it is B two B SaaS, we were able to do some paid pilots and able to get some revenues so that you know uh, we can sustain ourselves. So we raised when we think we were, uh, we thought we were ready.
1: Mm. You mentioned earlier on uh, in this conversation briefly about how you are a deep domain based uh, product Uh, and of course, given that the US is currently your primary market, it also makes sense for you to be headquartered in Silicon Valley and also maybe in terms of uh, uh, serious talent, Uh, but for aspiring uh, deep domain, deep tech uh, entrepreneurs, uh, what what advice might you have from your experience, uh, especially if they have a founding team out of India, uh, I mean, I understand you also have an operations out of India.
0: Right. right. So I think uh, in terms of uh, if you look at the deep tech part, so basically you have to look at what you are using. It. So you are talking about, I presume, the deep tech B2B startups?
1: Y- yeah, I guess that is initially where things are coming up in India, right? Mostly they have started with the enterprise side. I don't think there are very many deep tech consumer-facing startups yet in India. I mean, I could be wrong, huh?
0: so so i think yeah for deep tech b2b startups you first of all you need to first of all figure out the selling part of it right so what exactly you are building and who you are selling to uh, so many people i've seen people doing different things some people say build for india first and then take it to us some people do it other way like we, what we have done uh, you know first sell to us and once that is you know done then was, for example right now we are doing a pilot with one of the india utilities so we would build for us first uh, build for that scale now we are looking at experimenting in india so I think first of all it starts from there uh, and then it depends upon you know what is your deep tech component so ideally within the founding team it's always good to have uh, that experience uh, at least if not in the founders then maybe let's say a founding team member right so it's important to have that thing very early in the beginning otherwise you know you might build a platform or a tech stack which may not make sense in the long run whether that person you can find in India great if not then maybe you know anywhere on the earth nowadays with, with especially with the COVID and all I mean people are working remotely right and especially even in our case, uh, all three founders, we are in different locations. So I'm in mean, Bangalore, Nathan is in Korgam, Abhishek is in uh, Bay Area, right? So it's, I mean, we were doing, doing this pre-COVID as well. So so it works, uh, but you have to figure out how 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 to make it work for you.
1: Mm. Especially in uh, very tech-heavy companies, uh, when you're a small company, uh, what are some of the uh, ways in which you can attract uh, Uh, truly talented and committed people?
0: So I think uh, it usually starts from the same thing, right? So as a founder, first of all, your mission and vision should be clear. You should be able to, you know, put the right story around it and write mission which someone can get attracted with. And uh, and it's not like, you know, talent is not there in India. I remember like in my time frame, that was uh, almost two decades back, most of my classmates I won't, I won't find in India, right? From IITs and uh, other maybe Taiwan colleges might similar situations, Taiwan or even other colleges. Uh, but that's not the case nowadays. I mean, there are a lot of people who choose to stay back. There are a lot of opportunities in India. So the talent is, should not be as much a challenge. Maybe exposure and experiences, uh, for especially building for enterprise SaaS because there are not that many enterprises who, who consume, you know, these deep tech products at scale. So maybe that might be the exposure might be the gap but the talent is not a challenge so the idea is to if the mission and uh, overall things and you know are exciting you would find the right talent we, we didn't have an issue you know uh, building the initial team actually and maybe it's, it might be a bit different now but yeah now that we have the core we should be able to build around it
1: hmm. and and in terms of investors i mean uh, if you ask uh, early stage investors they will talk about uh, how they look at the founders uh, background founders pedigree and so on because at early stage those are the kinds of things that they can look at and of course the idea and market opportunity size and so on. Uh, from a founder's perspective, uh, what should what what should an aspiring entrepreneur look for in an investor? I mean uh, is it okay to take the money and and you know go ahead and use it or should they also look at uh, what else the investors bring in? What is the kind of tension there? What is the trade-off?
0: Sure, sure. So I think the biggest thing uh, for me to start, it would be the, the investor should believe in your idea, right? Uh, it should not be that, you know, uh, investors, many investors have this thesis around, you know, they want to uh, do this spray and pray kind of thing, uh, you know, just uh, I, this area is getting hot. So I want to invest in and just invest in someone rather than the investor being truly committed to your cause, right? So that that connect should be important. And and see, the thing is, when you talk to the investor, you kind of figure out, right? Uh, whether that person would make sense, would maybe add some complementary skill. Uh, nowadays, uh, uh, in India, it's also it's happening. But in Bay Area, typically, you have this what they call operator VCs. So people who have built companies earlier and then they move to investment. That obviously helps a lot. Because, you know, when you get stuck in something, uh, some area, it can be, let's say, hiring. It can be some difficult situation with the customer. They, they always have some good advices. So that helps, uh, if you can, you know, get to that, that kind of investor. But if your question is, uh, you know, uh, getting money from the early stage investor just to get started, that, that probably makes sense as well at the same time, right? Because if you don't have any capital, how do you get to a certain level? So maybe in the early stages, yeah, you have to figure out if they are, I mean, nowadays, obviously they are Y combinators, uh, of the world. Accel has started something, a couple of Sequoia has a search program. So a couple of other things which are coming up. So if you can get there and those are probably, you know, good ways to at least get started if you get uh, if you get selected there. And with time, then you figure out you know you know who will be your longer term partner. Mm.
1: For you personally, what have been uh, the most difficult lessons to uh, learn and digest if you look back at your career, especially on the entrepreneurs front?
0: Yeah, I think um, I'm not sure it's a difficult lesson or something, but probably it's more around you know uh, basically not take things seriously beyond a certain level, uh, you know, uh, success and failures are kind of part of life. So you learn from the failures and find a way to, you know, move on. Uh, I think probably that's more important. Uh, this is not, it's not like, you know, I did a couple of startups and all of them have been super successful. But the idea is, uh, the, or what matters most is what did I learn out of, you know, whether that or even my corporate life, what did I learn from it? How can I apply it to, you know, make the situation as they are coming along in the in a startup more, more efficient and more stable? bringing that calm into the room. right? So how do you learn from that and adopt them in your day-to-day life? Because startups are inherently chaotic, especially in the beginning. So you need to be able to manage that chaos.
1: Mm. If you look back at uh, yourself, uh, maybe even all the way back to your childhood, uh, what have been some of uh, the earliest influences that you recall, which uh, may have had a, uh, an important uh, impact on your uh, on your career on your professional career i don't
0: uh specifically decline collect a specific instance but maybe you know uh, my father was in a bank uh so they used to you know every three uh so many people you know have a childhood place where they have spent most of their time and i didn't have one right so every three years you need to get transferred you need to go somewhere and adjust and you know adjust and <laughs> and start your life from scratch so maybe i kind of Pick that up from there that, you know, I can adjust pretty fast to different surroundings, different environments. So maybe that helped as we went along, right? So even when, let's say I left a job, at many a times I would leave even before I had the off, next offer in hand, right? I'll figure out as we go along. So when I stopped quick, look, uh, I could, I had multiple opportunities, but I, you know, decided to, okay, let's take a break and figure out, right? Even a sabbatical, what, what does that mean, right? So, so I'm pretty open to new ideas. I guess that might have influenced, uh, uh, from my childhood
1: Hmm. Okay Uh, a few questions uh, more in the form of a rapid fire section Uh, just don't think about them too much answer them uh, quickly like in half a minute each Um, the first one is uh, uh, tell us about uh, one piece of advice you would give to an aspiring entrepreneur that you never got
0: Yeah I think it's probably coming back to what I said Uh, basically so don't take your entrepreneur self too, too seriously uh, you know uh, the, uh, so these things happen right so things happen for good things happen for bad but you know the idea is to keep learning and keep maintaining your calm and you know keep the focus on the task at hand uh, as long as you do that as you're analyzing it properly as you're doing it from a sane mind right keeping your sanity in, in place that's important and as long as you do that you, you'll figure it out right
1: mm. Mm. Professionally uh, name one person uh, who has left a deep impression on you
0: uh it's difficult to name a person uh, but i think uh, since i usually have this habit of you know learning from whatever is around me so wherever i went so there were these senior leadership people and uh, as i kept reading more about entrepreneurship so i think probably i've picked an influence from uh, picked the good habits from almost everyone i came along i don't think i can name a specific person here.
1: okay uh, name one product uh, that you love could be a software product hardware product
0: i think uh, it's probably contextual nowadays uh, i think it's a set of uh, these headphones and earphones and all which you can you know take anywhere and take the calls from it used to be probably my Bose headset earlier nowadays it's uh, I, i'm an android user so it's more be a jabra earphones you can you know take the call from anywhere so it makes your life pretty easy
1: all right uh, if you like to read uh, any book that you uh, keep turning to
0: so again, no specific book here, but it's mostly contextual for me. Uh, so, uh, and I have a Kindle where I have like, you know, uh, maybe more than a fifty hundred books or something. But uh, so for example, nowadays, uh, when I have to refer to something, I go back to this growth handbook from Elad Gill because we are at the growth stage. At other times, it wouldn't have been, you know, things around good to great and a couple of other books which are which help you, you know figure out what the culture you want to build and all that.
1: Mm. Uh, one important uh, thing that you never start your day without it can be an activity, a habit, uh, even a beverage. I
0: think, yeah, limonics are more around having my green tea and having a small conversation you know, before with the family, my, my, wife, my wife, my daughter, before they're going to their schools and offices. So it's, it's a good start to the day. Uh, used to be exercise, but yeah, with COVID it stopped a bit. <laughs> Time to start that back again.
1: Hmm. Uh, if you ever feel bad, what's your favorite way of getting yourself out of it?
0: So I think uh, uh, again, basically, walk away from that situation. Uh, spend time uh, with you know your family, friends, uh, and with COVID, it's easier to do that with your family. Uh, I have two kids, uh, one quite young, just two years old. So you know, so that's that's my favorite way of kind of relaxing it, and you know, just moving away from the problem, and then then coming back to it with a fresh mind, or maybe just sleep over. It. Mm.
1: Last question: uh, one city that you would love to live in.
0: So again, like I said, <laughs> so I have been uh, you know, moving to different cities and I don't see one city which I'm favorite with. I've been in Bangalore for the last 20 years, but yeah, if you have to move something tomorrow, I'll be <laughs> pretty okay with that. We don't have any specific favorite there.
1: Awesome. Uh, wonderful conversation, Rahul. Uh, thank you again for making time for this. And uh, definitely hope to keep the conversation going.
0: Thanks, Ari. It was a great conversation. Thank- thanks. For your conversation.
1: Okay. So that was uh, Rahul Saxena, uh, co-founder and CTO at AI-Dash. That's it for this week's Startup Fridays conversation. I'll be back next week with another episode. Wherever you've been listening to us, thank you. I'm Hari Arakli and I hope you have a great Friday and a wonderful weekend ahead.